Chapter 3, verse 1, Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness, came to Horeb, the mountain of God. What we're looking at now is um, Moses in exile. Moses uh, was a survivor. Um, the pharaohs, the Egyptians became fearful at the strength uh, of the Jews in their land of Egypt. Uh, they were growing numerically. They were growing uh, prosperously. They were, they were gaining things and, and were having advantage over everything they literally laid their hands to prospered. And the Egyptians became fearful of this. And there's a number of pharaohs have gone through this cycle and have seen this. They had gotten to the point where none of them knew the original 12 um, brothers uh, that were of um, Jacob. uh, And the blessings that were being bestowed upon Egypt, they believed that they were uh, in reason for. That was because of their hard work. And this population group among them was making them nervous. And therefore, they decided, we'll just kill the first male born. And Moses was a survivor of that. His mother put him in a little basket. It's literally called an ark. And it's floated down the Nile. Pharaoh's daughter picks up this child and raises this child uh, in uh, the house of Pharaoh. So he is educated in the finest institutions. He is getting the knowledge uh, of the higher education. Uh, he is literally considered royalty, and yet Hebrews 11 says that he never took, uh, became the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He never identified with that. He kept his faith. It's similar that you see Daniel when he was removed from Israel and put into the Babylonian kingdom. Uh, he did not bow to what was given before him and he said I will honor my God that is crucial to understanding this because you and I fight that same battle on the same on a daily basis what do I submit to okay the things of this world that demand my time the things of this world that demand my thinking processes my energy my monies do they master me or does God master me Okay, we see the beginning of of Moses. We see Pharaoh's daughter. He's raising Pharaoh's house, uh, and we see that uh, I liken this to Moses as being a stepchild, and it benefits him because when you think about it, when he flees Egypt and he finds Jethro and his family, the Midianites, what is he? A stepchild. But he assimilates into it, yet he never breaks his identity. He never breaks who it is that he is. Um, and, 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 and we see God consistently taking care of him. Um, you know, he killed an Egyptian. Um, and, you know, it wasn't, well, he was put into exile. Because, no, man, Pharaoh wanted him dead. And he fleed for his life. Okay, it's not what the Charlton Heston movie tells us. All right. And so he goes to, and he finds a well in the wilderness area. 
Uh, he's sitting there and he helps uh, feed this uh, water of this flock. This lady is uh, females are shepherding. The shepherds are doing the male chauvinist pig thing. Uh, Moses gets in there and gets them watered. Uh, and then he falls for a woman. Uh, and we find out that it is the daughter uh, of Jethro. We also find out that Jethro is a priest of Midianites. Uh, the Midianites are of the line of who? Abraham. Interesting concept. So I wonder what God they probably serve. Same God that Moses serves. Okay. And interesting how God does that. So God draws him out of one step family and he puts him into a, another step family. He's already been trained for it. He's already been conditioned for it. And he's ready for it. And then he becomes a herdsman. I find that fascinating. You go from the royal palace to herdsman. Now, you've got to understand something. He's only there 40 years. That's all. How patient are you? Okay, he's only there four years. He's still got to do the, the wilderness for 40 years. and all. I mean, it is not getting easier for Moses. But who's preparing him? God is preparing him. Okay, let me ask you a question. Has God prepared you? For the position that you're in right now, has God prepared you? Okay, now you're sitting there saying, well, you know, he's talking about Moses and all that, and he's evidently prepared me. But you know what? I guarantee you, you've got five excuses that you keep using to him every time. And it's the five excuses you'll see in this. All right, here's what happens. It says, verse 2, an angel of the Lord. You know what that means, right? Messenger of Yahweh, verse 2, appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. This would not be George this would be just a regular bush, okay? And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet was not consumed. Now, I read some stuff, and it's kind of funny, because they said, well, there are these bushes that grow that have these pods on them, and when these pods burst, they look like they're on fire, okay? Then I heard this other commentary on it, and it said, but actually there are some bushes that grow in this region that have this oily... Um, texture to them and it is possible that that oily texture caught on fire and would burn but just the texture would burn and um, therefore uh, it wouldn't burn the bush it would just be this oil that was this gland on these bushes and that was it let me explain something to you Moses has been in the desert now in this area tending sheep for 40 years He's seen the pods burst. He's seen the oily glands burn or whatever they do. And whatever this bush was doing was something he had not seen. Okay, so whether it was the pods bursting or the oily gland burning, whatever it was, Moses had never seen it. And he's only been here for 40 years. I'm thinking after 40 years, he's probably gotten a handle on it. So he looked at it and he said, well, oh, dude. So verse 3, he says, so Moses said, I must turn aside and see this marvelous sight. Why the burr bush is not consumed. All right. So verse 3 says, whatever this was, was not normal. All right. What was it? It was a bush that was on fire and it was not consumed. 
Okay, I need to take you someplace because I, I need to give you the commentary on this. All right, because it says a messenger of the Lord, correct? Angel of the Lord, messenger of Yahweh. Well, but I thought it was God in the bush. If you would, please turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 30. I was reading a, a text, I think it was called uh, Lectures to My Students. Uh, by Charles Spurgeon when he began his seminary uh, in London. And he said, he made a fascinating statement. He says, the Old Testament is like the most elegant structure ever known to man. It has such detail and such beauty and such radiance that man cannot comprehend it, nor can man take credit for it. And the New Testament is, turns the lights on so you can see it in its full detail. Therefore, angel of the Lord in the bush. What the heck was that? I thought it was God in the bush and the finger and the cutting in the rock and all the rest of it. All right. Let me give you the commentary on it in God's words. Verse 30. After 40 years had passed. Okay. After 40 years, this is Stephen, by the way. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of a burning bush. Okay. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. As he approached to look more closely, the voice of who? Yahweh, the Lord. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses shook with fear and would not venture to look. But the Lord said, verse 33, to him, take off your sandals, your feet, for this place in which you are standing is what? Holy. Listen, the only time things become holy is when the presence of God, not as messengers. When the angel came to Mary, Okay, when the angel went to um, Zechariah, um, when the angel went to Samson's father, um, there was not considered holy. The only time something becomes holy is what? God's presence. Okay? So he says it to himself and he says, here it is. Here's what happens. Verse 34 I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and I have heard their groans and I have come down to rescue them. Come now. I will what? Send you to Egypt. Now go back to your text there in verse in uh, Exodus. That is the commentary on this. This is God explaining this through the person of Stephen. Okay, so Moses says, I got to see this and Lord. And then when Yahweh saw that he had turned to look aside, God called to him from the midst, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Here I am. Okay. God calls. Every one of you in this room, God has called. Did you know that? You didn't get the email, did you? Are you like me? I kind of neglect sometimes reading my email. Okay, God calls. Do you find that fascinating? A burning bush. Moses says, I know. 
got to go check this out because this bush is not being consumed. Moses, Moses said, here I am. And then in verse 5, he says, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place which you are standing is holy ground. Holy ground. I'm the God of your father. We just read it. Stephen quoted it. Stephen understood it. God of your father Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Okay? You know what the beginning of salvation is? Fear. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of salvation. Moses had fear. Curiosity. Curiosity. I need to go look at this. And then all of a sudden he sees it and he hears it. And what happens? Uh-oh. I'm going to go back and watch the goats. All right? <clears throat> Yahweh said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmaster masters. I am aware of their suffering. That would take you back to verse 24 and 25 of chapter 2. And he says, The God heard their groanings, the God remembered his covenant, and the God saw what was going on, and God did something about it. Okay, what was it? He lit up a bush, got Moses' undivided attention. Moses came over, seen it, and said, Guess what? You're up, Moses. You know what? Every single one of you in this room has that calling. Did you know that? Every single one of you in this room has the message of redemption. Every single one of you. And there's somebody out there who needs to be redeemed. You know what another term for redeemed is? Rescued. Have you heard their cries? Do you understand God's covenant? Have you seen what God does? Have you heeded God's call? Every single one of you. He tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Which means what? You're not an evangelist, but you need to what? Do the work of it. If you had to cure for every disease that hurt humanity, what would you do with it? Hide it? Lock it up in a safety deposit box? Save it? No. You would share it. I was talking to a pastor this week and we was talking about the succession of sign gifts and he's dealing with an issue of uh, the gift of languages in his church. And I told him, I said, I'd prefer to have the gift of healing because it would be a hoot just to go hang out in hospitals. I mean, just go down to the morgue and raise everybody up from the dead. Get up. I mean, just mess. I mean, gee, many crickets. Could you mess with people or what? There was a conference in our town just uh, last weekend on how that we need to go back to using the gift, the miracle gift of healing so that we can save people. Huge turnout. Sold out. 2,000 people here in Castle Rock. It's great, ain't it? The poor funeral home is going to go out of business. Oh, well. Here we go. Verse 7, Yahweh said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. Have you seen the affliction of people around you? 
Do you understand their cry? Do you understand their taskmasters, their flesh, and how it drives them into the ground? I got a little thing here in my Bible. Uh, I write little neat sayings in my Bible because uh, I don't remember very well. Uh, well, maybe I didn't write it in this one. Yeah, I did. There it is. No reserves, no regret, no retreat. I know the ladies just had a retreat. Sorry, I'm not retreating. I want to go in and let the fur fly. Okay. Why? As a Christian, I have the ability to cure all. It's all that ails you. I have the message. I don't have the ability to do it. I have the message. I can tell you what fixes it. This is what is going on with Moses here. Do you realize how early in Scripture this is? This is the book of Exodus. That would be the second book of the Bible. Because the first book of the Bible, we've seen, ooh, we need to be saved. We have a mess. We have a problem. The problem, I think, that exists in the church in America today is that we see people who are motoring along seems like they're doing okay. problem is, do you really understand who their taskmaster is? Do you know their cries? I mean, it can be anything. But it's still all the same. It's just basically sin. So I've come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanite and the Hizzites and the Amorite and the Perizzites, the Hivite and the Jebusites. Behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. He says, I'm aware of what's going on here. I know what's happening here. And I want to take them to the land of milk and honey. Therefore, come now. I will send you to Pharaoh and you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. All right? Cool. Then you have verse 11. Excuse number one. This is excuse number one, why you do not heed the call of God and why you do not become useful to him. Moses said to God, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. You know what he's saying there? I'm nobody. You know what we need? If I could get a football player saved, like a star quarterback, maybe Brett Favre saved, then everybody will listen to him. If I can get a politician who has a bully pulpit saved, then, then I'll hear that. I heard somebody say that God was going to do away with the evangelists uh, and pastor teachers and was going to get people saved through music. He tried it with Elvis, but he walked away. He tried it with the Beatles. He walked away. I heard that on... Uh, November the 26th, Led Zeppelin is getting back together for a one-time concert. Okay, um, John Bonham's son will play the uh, drums in place of his deceased father. And if we can just, I think you guys ought to take up a love offering for me, and I'll go to London and share the gospel with these guys. We'll get them saved, and then everybody will get saved because Led Zeppelin is now saved. Nobody's buying that. <laughs> okay. Shoot. 
Let me tell you what God says when you say, who am I? Who am I? Certainly, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. You know what he just said? You ain't nobody. Anyway, take the step. Why? I will be with you. How many times does God lay something in front of you and you think that you're supposed to do it and you miss the fact that He says, I'm with you. I listen to people and all their systems and their methods and I try not to be, I try to keep my big mouth shut. Sometimes I'm successful, not very often, but sometimes I am. Okay, and they all say, well, you need to do this in missions, and you need to do this, and if you can reach these people, and you can do this, and if you get this demographic, if you get this. You know, the big thing now is to get older people. Did you know that? We need to get older people in the church. You know why? They give more money than the Gen Xers or the Boomers because uh, they understand. They're getting closer to eternity, and they're willing to give more money to God. Whereas the younger people are more concerned about raising their kids and colleges and their degrees and their house and their cars and 2.5 this and 3.5 that and all the rest of it. Really? I thought it said God was with me. You take this very small church and we've planted 17 churches in the lands of Russia uh, with 17 expository preachers in a place in four years that only had two churches in the size of the Carolinas and Virginia. What credit do you get for that? Nothing. Why? Who am I? Who am I to go do this? That's your first excuse. You know what God says? You're right. You're nobody. <laughs> but I'm somebody. Don't worry about it. I'm with you. Okay? All right. Verse 13. Here's my second excuse. Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel. What do I say to them? The God of your fathers sent me to you? Now they may say to me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? <laughs> what am I going to tell them? You know what he's saying there? I haven't been to Bible college. I haven't been to seminary. I am not a theologian. How do I explain the things of God if I haven't been to Bible college? I haven't been to seminary. How do I explain these things? Well, first things, brothers and sisters, what you need to do is read your Bible. That, that'd be first. I mean, that, it should be a motivating force. Okay, but then in verses 14 and 15, we get the response. God said to him, I am who I am. And the word there in the Hebrew means, I am self-sufficient. Therefore, I am. Okay, if I need something, I create it. Okay. Do you need to be a theologian to understand that? You know, I, I struggle with people that says, well, I don't know how to share the gospel. I need to go take a class on how to share the gospel. No, you just need to get saved. Because if you get saved, you know the gospel. If you're truly saved. Why? You understood you were a sinner? Yeah. 
We're wretched. And then all of a sudden, you all of a sudden got this fear. Uh-oh. God's not a sinner. Not only is God not a sinner, He don't like sinners. And there's nothing I can do to reach Him or to make peace with Him. So how do I do it? I throw myself on the mercy of Jesus Christ. And you beg Him to save you. You don't say a prayer. You don't walk an aisle. You don't go to Bible college. You don't have perfect attendance in Sunday school. You get on your knees in anguish and say, please, I beg you, save me. Why? Because I am that I am. But I don't sound... You're not a theologian. How are you going to take a message that only repairs the torn souls of man and reestablishes them with their creator. What message would you like? What information do you believe you can articulate to accomplish that? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> oh, no. You know, first person I ever led to Christ, you know what I led him to Christ on? The doctrine of predestination. Well, you can't get that deep. They won't understand it. <laughs> they did. <laughs> and I just sit there and go, huh, I, don't even, I don't even know how we got on the topic. But that's the one that all the saints argue over. And this guy says, I want that. How's it come? I don't know. He is God. God's response. Verse 14, God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers and the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and this is my memorial name to all generations. Okay. So his first excuse was, I'm nobody. And God says, yeah, I know. So what? I'm somebody and I'm with you. The second excuse is, I ain't a theologian. How am I going to, what am I going to tell him? Tell him who sent you. Who? Yahweh, the I am sent me. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, Yahweh, God of your fathers and God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, and I am indeed concerned about you, Yahweh is, and what has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, the Pezites, Hivites and the Jebusites. They will pay heed to you. Why? Why will they pay heed to you? You're not a theologian and you are a nobody. Not only that, you've left for 40 years. You've been gone for 40 years. Why would they want to listen to you? You don't understand the suffering of this people. You've been hanging out with a bunch of sheep and goats. You don't understand. Well, it goes back to the original one. I am with you. God is with you. They will pay heed to you. 
You with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt and you will say to him, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. So now, please let us go a three days journey in the wilderness, sacrifice to Yahweh, our God. But I know now here's what God, this is all God. If you have a red letter Bible, this should be all red letter. Okay, this is all God said. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go. Except under, I love this phrase, under compulsion. (laughs) He's going to make me do it. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt and all of my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. God says, you know what? I'm with you. I already have a plan. I know what the response is. And I I already have the answer to the response that Pharaoh will have. Don't worry about it. This is not in your planning. You don't need to figure out, well, is this the Roman roads of salvation? Or should I say this prayer? Or should we say the sinner's prayer? Or should I do? No. He says, I have called you. I am with you. You're no theologian. Guess what? You'll never be a theologian. That's okay. I'm with you because I am the theologian. I will give you the words to say. Well, but what if I screw it up? You can't. It's impossible. You can't. Well, but if I don't, it doesn't matter. Have you ever done that? Shared it. If I'd have said this, I bet you they'd have said the Lord's Prayer or something. You can't mess it up. I like that. You know what that is for me? Idiot proof. It's idiot proof. I can't mess this up. I like that. That's a good thing for me because I'm God's own fool. I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians and it shall be that by you go, you will not go empty handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in their house articles of silver and gold and clothing and you will put them in your sons and daughters and thus you will plunder the Egyptians. You know what he's basically saying? Not only are you going to bring the people out of Egypt, you're going to take their wealth with them. Well, wait a minute, we're slaves. That's all right. don't worry. They're going to be willing to pay to send you out. All of their wealth. You know what? From the time of the Exodus, Egypt has never been a world power. They've never played on the world circuit. Why? God says it's all gone. Why? Oh, by the way, Moses, I'm with you. Remember, I'm a nobody. And God says, don't worry, I'm with you. He said, but I don't understand this. I mean, I'm going to be talking to theologians. I mean, them Israeli people, they all sit around and read their Bibles and memorize that stuff. I've been hanging out with a bunch of goats day in and day out for 40 years. Sorry, you ain't a theologian anyway. Verse 1 of chapter 4, we have excuse number 3. Moses answered. You see what he just told him? Not only are you going to get him out of there, not only will there be a fight, I will win the fight, not only will it be an amazing fight, they're going to give you their precious commodities to take with you. All right. What plan do you have for that, Moses? We ain't got no plan for that. That's good, because you're not a theologian. Here's Moses' conclusion. What if they will not believe me? <laughs> I already told you how the plan's going to work, and what if they don't believe me? They will. Okay? Or listen to what I say. For 
they may say, Yahweh's not appeared to you. Okay? You know what he's basically saying? He says, all right, I'm a nobody. God says, that's right, you're a nobody, but don't worry, I'll take care of it. I'm a somebody. Well, I'm not a theologian is the second one. Don't worry about it. You can't be a theologian. Do you really believe that you can get into a position that you know God so well that now you can explain it? No. Okay. Well, but what if I'm not convincing? What if I'm not convincing? That's the third excuse. That's the reason that you will not share. What if I'm not convincing? Here's God's response in chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. The Yahweh said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. Then he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. And it became a certain Moses fled from it. He just turned my stick into a snake. All right? But Yahweh said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by the tail. It's a snake. He grabbed it by the tail. You just, and you're messing with me. Here I am talking to a bush. So he stretched out his hand, he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that Yahweh, the God of their father, and the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And Yahweh furthermore said to him, now put your hand into your bosom. He put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And when he said, put your hand into the bosom again, and he's doing the, the uh, Napoleon thing. Slide it in, slide it out, slide it in, slide it in. Uh, anyway, and he took it out, it was leprous, and we put it back, your hand back in, uh, and he went out of the bosom, and behold, it was restored to the rest of his flesh. It shall come out, it shall come about that if they will not believe you or heed the witness of the first sign, they may believe the witness of the last sign. But it shall be that if they will not believe even these two signs or heed what you say, then you shall take some water from the Nile, pour it on dry ground, and the water will become to you take the water which you take from the Nile will become as blood on the dry ground. Okay, basically what he's saying is, don't worry. You can't convince them, but I will give you things that will convince them. Okay, do you understand that? We don't need to go around making water into blood and stuff like that. Paul says, I am not ashamed of what? The gospel. Why? It is what? It is what? The power of God to salvation. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Do you understand that? That is no different than throwing your stick down, it turns into a snake, picking it up, and it turns back into a stick in your hand in your shirt. Oh, look at her. Turned into a leper. Now it's out. Or taking water, turn it on. It is God with us. Emmanuel. That's what this is all about. I'm not convincing. Verses 2 through 9, he says, yeah, I know. So what? You forgot the first one. I'm with you, Right? If I'm with you, then guess what? You only have the power of God. That's all? Hmm. That's what drives me crazy. Why do I need a method? Why do I need a system? Why do I need a plan? Why do I need a trick? If God is with me, 
I don't really have a problem, do I? I, I get people... Uh, never mind. Let's press on. All right. Three excuses. Fourth excuse, verse 10. Then Moses said to Yahweh, Please, Yahweh, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I ain't no preacher! I'm not the pastor of a church! How do I pull this off? I don't know how to do this! I don't have eloquent... I can't... What was the guy told me? You need to be able to turn a phrase. Turn a phrase? What the heck does that mean? Turn a phrase. What's well, like a truck? You turn it? I don't know. What does it mean, turn a phrase? He says, I'm not a preacher. God in 11, 12 says, Yahweh says to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now then, go. And I, even I, will be your mouth and teach you what you are to say. Okay? So you have this excuse. I'm a nobody. He says, yep, you're right. But I'm a somebody. And I go with you. But I'm not a theologian. Don't worry. I'm going with you. I'll give you what you need. Well, but I'm unconvincing. That's okay. I am convincing. Well, but I'm not a preacher. He said, I know, but I made your mouth and you'll say things and you'll say, wow, how did I say that? Verse 13. The last excuse. But he said, please, Yahweh, I'll send the message by whomever you will. You know what that means? I'm not really interested in this. I ain't interested in doing this. Can't you tell? I'm busy. I have a wife. I have flock. I have a new family. I'm out here and I'm, I'm doing pretty good for myself. I got a 401k, a 503c. I can do, I do all these kind of things. I'm having a good time here. I'm really not. Do you understand, Yahweh, how much time this is going to take? Do you also understand that the Egyptians, they don't really like me? I'm not interested. Well, Yahweh answers that one too. Okay? Verse 14. Do you see how he answered it? I don't know what your translation says. Mine is pretty specific. Okay? I want you to see something here. I'm a nobody. God says, yeah, you're right. You're a nobody. Okay? But I, I, I'm not Bible smart. I'm not Bible. What if they ask me a hard question that maybe I haven't read the Bible for? Well, I would really suggest you read the Bible. Don't worry about it. Well, God says, I'll give you the information that I need to accomplish what I My word goes forth and accomplishes what I sent it out for. Okay. Well, but maybe I'm not convincing. Maybe I, what if I say it wrong? You can't. Well, you can't mess this up. You can't mess this up. Not only that, um, I will work through you and everybody understand it. But 
okay, but I'm not a gifted speaker. I, you know, I, I just don't do well in crowds. I, I, I don't do, I just, I don't do re, re well with individuals. I don't do well with, I do, you know, golly, you're messing with the souls of people. How am I going to do that? You can't do that. That's all right. I will do it. I just want you to open your pie hole. Okay? Open your mouth, and I will make the words, because if you're smart, you'll remember, hey, he made the mouth. <laughs> what an idea. But here's what happens to you and I. Send somebody else. You know what happens then? What's it saying, verse 14? The anger of Yahweh burned against Moses. Bummer. Why? Well, I'm not really interested in this. I mean, it's cool to see the bush. It's neat to see the snake sticks trick it's, and, and the hand and leprosy. And pull. That's cool. But you know what? I am really busy. I need to find a job. I'm trying to find a new job. I'm trying to get this done. What am I going to worry about this? What about my kids are doing that? I need to make sure that they're getting soccer practice because they ain't getting played soccer. You know what? What does it say? The anger of Yahweh burned against Moses. And he said, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently. And moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth. And I will teach you what you are to do. Moreover. He shall speak for you to the people and it shall come about that he shall be as the mouth for you and you shall be as God to him. You shall take in your hand this staff with your... You will take this staff with you and shall perform signs. Okay, do you understand what just happened here? God says, I'm, ta I'm done talking. I've already laid it out. I already told you what the plan was. I already told you what Pharaoh and the Egyptians were going to respond. I told you that they're going to give you all their gold and you're going to take the people out and you're going to sit here and argue with me? Your brother Aaron is of the Levites. He is still in Egypt. He is suffering. He is one of the cries that I'm hearing. What's the matter with you, fool? You have people around you who are headed for hell. They have taskmasters that are trying to kill them, to torment them, to punish them, to show them hopelessness. And you're going to tell God you're not interested? You're going to tell him who left heaven and hung on a cross for you that you're busy? Moses departed, returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please, let me go, that I may return to my brethren who are in Egypt. 
and see if they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Go in peace. Now Yahweh said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So he took his wife and his sons and he mounted them on a donkey and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses also took his staff of God in his hand. And Yahweh said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. I want you to know what you're going to be seeing. I want you to know what you're up against. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says Yahweh, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me, but you have refused, so let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Now it came about in the lodging place on the way to where Yahweh met him, and he sought to put him to death. Then Zephorah took a flint and he cut the foreskin. Basically what you have here is Moses had not circumcised his children. Jethro circumcised his grandchildren. Now Yahweh said to Aaron, okay, now Aaron's in Egypt. Go meet your brother. Go meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and he met the mountain of God, and he kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words that Yahweh, which he had sent him, and all the signs which he had commanded him to do. And then Moses and Aaron went to the, and assembled all the elders, the leadership of the sons of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which Yahweh had spoken to Moses. And then he performed the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed, and they heard that Yahweh was concerned about the sons of Israel, and that he, <clears throat> when he had had their affliction, and he had seen their affliction, and they bowed low, and what happened? What happened? They worshiped. Five excuses. I'm a nobody. I don't have the theology. I'm unconvincing. I'm not a preacher. I'm not really interested. Okay? Those are the banes that fight the Christian this very day. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. And yet God says, I'll go before you. I, you know, people ask me, they say, well, you're getting ready to go back to Russia. Why are you to pray? The Lord goes before me. That's it. Well, don't you? know? He goes before me, then what else do I need? What else do I need? You really believe that you can go to school, get an education well enough that you can affect the soul of a lost person. That's the height of arrogance. But I will tell you this. I think the one that is the heaviest in our lives today is the fifth one. I'm just not interested. Just not interested. I'm busy. I have, I have a lot going on. Don't you understand? And you know what? That is the one that causes God to be angry. It's not a good place to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that even with Moses, we've seen him struggle. And yet, Father, we struggle. We struggle with the same five excuses. Father, I struggle with it. I don't like talking in front of people. I don't like 
I don't like dealing with the spiritual things. But Father, we're not to be monks. We are your mouthpiece. When you go before us, you are with us. You are before us, you are behind us. You are above us, you are below us. You surround us. Let us take comfort in that. Because Father, as you are revealing yourself through this text, we understand that it ain't us. We can't mess it up. We only do obedience to you, to your glory, to your praise. For the King of kings and the Lord of lords, in Christ's name, amen.